Ah, it's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for book number 43, Widows, which is a book about some crime. And, you know, <laughs> I've run out of summaries to do. It's, um, <laughs> that covers everything, doesn't it? It does. But, uh, as usual, we'll take a little look at the, the book covers for this and... As I mentioned in, uh, towards the end of the main episode, we're we're dealing with books that are being published by William Morrow, Avon, Heinemann and Mandarin, and we're sort of partway into the run of these from all of them. So I will open the floor to, I don't know, Steve-O first for the very first one, the US hardback, which should be the first image I've sent you, if you'd care to describe it for us. It's got a an image like one of the like a photograph that's let me coloured in a bit yeah. like the uh, animation of um, Lord of the Rings oh, rotoscoped in the, d- yeah. done in the seventies. It looks a bit like that. I know what you mean. <laughs> and the, the well, the, the the main principal image is the bakery shop where uh, Car- uh, Steve Carella's father ran um, with some big American cars outside. Uh, although the cars look really old. Yeah, I think it's a stock picture that they've just found. That's yeah, so the cars are like yeah. 1950s cars. Well, obviously, this is the the 90s. So, yeah, it's quite similar to the next one. Do you want me to do that as well? Because it's almost the same. Do you know like, what? Why, why don't you go for it? It's like <laughs> zoom zoomed in of the same image, and yet it isn't the same image because there's a much more modern car. Um, but yeah, it's very, very similar and yet different. But again, yeah, that's a photograph yeah. that's been coloured in like Lord of the Rings as well. <laughs> yeah. I presume everyone will know that you're referring to the uh, the Ralph Bakshi animated Lord of the Rings from the 70s where they used rotoscoping on, on actual film of actors where they sort of paint over actual film. It's just like they've painted over an actual photograph, so it makes it look a little bit like they've used a some sort of Instagram filter or something on it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, on both that. So that's both the hard cover and the soft cover of the American editions. Like you say, soft cover version is like zoomed in on that shop front window, but the fonts are a bit different. As in, right. the first one's got this big blocky, blocky gold yeah, font, yeah, and the second one's got a sort of it's not cursive, is it? But it's more curly. Yeah. Well, the that's the McBains are identical, aren't they? Pretty much. All right. Well, I'll go give Morgan the really difficult job of then describing the UK editions. Well. So I, I take it the first of these is the hardback, not that it makes yeah. much difference. Um, so we've got McBain, just McBain in big blocky red letters, Widows in some silver letters with a, a very curly S, a novel of the 87th Precinct, and then um, a picture of a widow, we assume, with the the, 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 the sort of black background to the lettering forming the, the brim of a black hat with a, a veil down over her eyes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the, the oh, so that's the paperback one. Sorry, that's oh, it's the paperback. paperback, is it? Oh well, yeah. the hardback's very different in that it's got Ed McBain in block letters rather than just McBain. Yeah, <laughs> and very slightly different fonts on the widows, but yeah. Although well, I'll say the one thing that suggests is that the widow in the picture is wearing a huge black hat, <laughs> like a massive hat. Yeah, maybe like a sort of grenadier guard or something. Yes, like like <laughs> yeah, like she should be stood outside of the Tower of London or something, or um, yeah, or a massive stovepipe hat or something. 
They're very rubbish, those, aren't they? Yeah, and I'm afraid we're stuck with this design <clears throat> stuff, I think, for a, a little while. <laughs> while these publishers are in, involved anyway. So, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, the 90s. I think the American ones just win it, but not by much. I don't know. Ah. Oh, yeah, the, the American ones are, are, are reasonably interesting, aren't they? Yeah, but, you know, this is not... They're not using the covers to sell them, I don't think, here. No, really. It's a shame, because, you know, when you get the good marrying together... That Widow's cover would put me off. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. The American one at least looks a bit more grainy and gritty, whereas the, the, the UK one's very sort of airbrushed and, uh, yeah, it's kind of tacky. Looks like a Jilly Cooper bloody book, yeah, doesn't it? It does look like a Jilly Cooper book. That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> right. Okay, well then, let's get away from terrible book cover design and get to some music and film and TV from 1991. Uh, are we saying what book covers we've got? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I, I, I was so eager to get away from them. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't book huffed as well. Oh, blimey. Since I haven't done it for ages. Haven't we? Yeah, well, I have, no, we haven't done a show for ages. A proper oh, right. One, so okay. it's, uh, it's, uh, I thought somehow you'd managed to make me forget to do it. <laughs> Mine doesn't smell very much whatsoever. Uh, what but mine's the UK time? edition, uh, which is cost me one pound according to this. And oh, it, right, okay. it is the one that was got three pounds ninety nine on the back. Oh, mine's mine's a UK edition. It's got four ninety nine on the back. So this is reprinted nineteen ninety two twice. Oh, four times. Oh no, it's nineteen ninety three. Four times in ninety two. Three times in ninety three. So oh, I've got so a year. Obviously, the year. inflationary times has put a quid on it. In the, uh... yeah, I'll have I'll smell mine then. Oh, that's all right. I quite like that one. Um, that's satisfactory. Mine's got some uh, blobs. What about you, Morgan? I'm I'm still on my uh, same omnibus oh, edition I've been on for the last couple of episodes. Yes, of course to, you are. It's yeah. a 2002 Orion uh, bumper edition. So uh, I suspect, although it might get incrementally um, fresher towards the back, there's probably not much point uh, doing a comparative huff at the no. moment. But okay, uh, I'll be on a fresh book next time, which is very exciting. Well, that's something to look forward to anyway. <laughs> yes, <an> definitely. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, sorry for trying to leap ahead beyond the huffing there. But... Yeah, well, we, we shan't have the huffing missed out. Thank you for pulling me back to, to the, the <laughs> format of the show anyway. <laughs> right, let's get into 1991. And I'll start with, the, I've got the top 10 of, so this is, Copyright 2nd of January 1991, so we're right at the start of the year. I've got the UK and the US top 10, and I think this is an interesting exercise in sort of how different our charts were mm. at the time. And, yeah, this tons. I When I was doing my research for this, you start looking at music and stuff and films and things that come out in 1991, and there's just so much. Yeah. I mean, and so much quite big stuff as well, like really stuff that has lasting legacy and impact. Not necessarily in the top 10, but, you know, maybe. Hmm. I'm going to start up from 10 in the UK chart because I think it's a very interesting chart. Mm -hmm. So at number 10, we have Prey by MC Hammer. Uh, big trousers all around. Oh, yeah. Number nine, we have Mary Had a Little Boy by Snap. Nice. Yeah, a big year for pop, pop rap. <laughs> yeah. Number eight, we've got Justify My Love by Madonna. Oh, yeah. Number seven, All Together Now by The Farm. That was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, top Evertonian anthem. Indeed. 
Number six, it's those hot young kids, the Righteous Brothers, with <laughs> You've Lost That Loving Feeling. And at number five, a song I hate almost, or a record I hate almost more than anything else on the earth, and that is the Grease Mega Mix, by, <laughs> credited to John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. I can't stand it. I, I, I didn't know you had this particularly uh, violent aversion to the Grease Mega Mix, but it's, it's interesting to note. <laughs> well, I've never liked Grease particularly, hmm. and the Grease Mega Mix is even worse. It's like Grease crossed with Jive Bunny, and it's... <laughs> and out of all of those i prefer jive bunny so <laughs> it's no and it used to be on every like school disco a, every party yeah proper school disco favorite wasn't it definitely and people would know every single line and do, do the, all the harmonies and the annoying clapping bit yeah <laughs> uh number four we've got enigma with sadness part one sadness part one i'd imagine it's the yeah uh, this must be a spelling mistake on the official charts website because it's a sadness part one interesting yeah the sort of sort of like it's sort of slightly ambient kind of chill out sort of thing with chanting monks yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah i know yeah i know i remember number three we have good old cliff richard with savior's day oh bloody hell god <laughs> remember this is the chart for 2nd of january so we're just yeah. at the back of the, the festive period of course yeah uh number two not quite so festive but ice ice baby you know <laughs> ice snow um, yeah by vanilla ice <laughs> and this is why i was excited by the chart anyway a new entry at number one on the 2nd of january 1991 or the the week of the charts you'll be excited by this steve-o will i you will you will uh... iron maiden <laughs> oh, right. with bring your daughter to oh, the slaughter right. yeah. terrific yeah they, they, they made always chart really high because they've just got this rabid fan base that uh, rush straight out don't they it's great love it yeah that's the second so, yeah well there you go yeah so they're two above cliff anyway that's the Fans, important thing excellent yeah. news and well above the Grease mega mix <laughs> <laughs> But like I say, the difference between that and like the American chart. So the US top 10 is number 10. We've got Whitney Houston with I'm Your Baby Tonight. Oh, yeah. Number nine, Surface with The First Time. Doesn't ring a bell. No, not for me. Number eight is Surface. Surface. I know it's it's not a good name for a band. Work top. (laughs) (laughs) Plinth. Um, number eight is Sensitivity by Ralph Trevant or Trezvant. Lost mm. on me. Number seven, Janet Jackson, Love Will Never Do Without You. Number six, Impulsive by Wilson Phillips. I think we talked about them last time, didn't oh, we? Oh, yeah. Number five is one I actually know, which is Tom's Diner by DNA featuring Suzanne Vega. Oh, marvellous. I like that record. Is that like a remix version of the original one? It is, yeah, because the original's the a cappella um, one, and then yes, I guess DNA yeah. just kind of synced it to a beat, didn't they? Yeah. Number four, High Enough by the Damn Yankees. Oh, wow, Ted Nugent. Yep. <laughs> He's back again. Uh, number three, From a Distance by Bette Midler. I'm pretty oh. sure she was in the chart last time we did it as well. I think she probably was, wasn't she? Yeah. Number two is Because I Love You, the Postman song by Stevie B. Oh, yeah. And uh, number one, Justify My Love by Madonna. So it's there's not much in common, really, with the charts. No. It's that 
the American top ten rarely has things like the Greeks mega mixing or yeah. any of these like old legacy records like you've lost that love and feeling don't seem to be in there but uh... a few things there that we're going to get in the next couple of months i think as well like yes. the whitney houston and, and what have you but uh yeah yeah i think so but here's an interesting you know year for music we've got because 1991 is the year we get brian adams at number one for oh, 16 God. weeks <sighs> which is uh obviously everything i do i do it for you and I'll give some special music points to whoever can tell me what song ended its 16-week run at number one. Oh, I feel like mm. I should know this. I can't think. I'd say it was a good quiz question, except that I wouldn't actually expect anyone to know this. <laughs> I, it's I not an obscure know. band or anything, but no. it's uh, it's just... I don't know. Well, it's um, The Fly by U2. Oh, yeah. I couldn't bring to mind how that goes personally, but... Um... Yeah, yeah, I, I I could, but I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate your kindness. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, like I say, tons of stuff happening. Freddie Mercury sadly dies. Oh. He obviously he makes the announcement about his uh, his AIDS diagnosis and basically dies. By the time it comes out in the press, he's he's dead really. Oh. Uh, so it's a, a very significant loss in the the world of music. But it's also the year that, like, Nevermind comes out. Yeah, it's the, the grunge explosion, definitely, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So many. The death knell for hair metal. Yeah. Yeah. But whilst that's, you say, the death knell for The death knell for head metal. <laughs> the, the, the death knell for hair metal. But 1991 also sees one of the biggest selling singles of all time come out. Tied, as it is, into the notion of perestroika the wind new freedom <laughs> yeah it's yes. wind of change by the scorpions <laughs> tremendous yes yeah, i suppose it's a funny year because you've got like a, all the grunge bands releasing like probably first or second albums haven't you and yet you've you use your illusion was 1991 wasn't it so yeah yeah i am made going to number one in the singles like you just said so it's a they kind of bit of an overlap still, isn't there? Yeah, there was sort of a bit of an uneasy coexistence, uh, definitely for a while. I mean, that that the Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion tour, they I think Soundgarden were the first support band on. Yeah, they, they were. Yeah, that. yeah. So, um, and there was there was definitely a crossover in the fan base, but I think certainly a lot of the the smaller bands who would have been trouble in the charts suddenly kind of it was the writing was on the wall for them. Really, you you're kind of your Tiger Tails and your Dogs Demore and all these bands who were kind of <laughs> doing all right for themselves really weren't anymore. Yeah, like of Poison was still like fairly big, weren't they? In like late 90s, 1990 probably, and then I suspect they... Yeah, you gradually see a lot of those bands just starting to kind of ditch the spandex a bit and by the next time they release a record, they've kind of got a bit of a checked shirt on and some jeans and maybe a little bit less pr- production gloss and yeah yeah a little bit less hairspray yeah the hairspray industry <laughs> definitely started to suffer as a result of this <laughs> shift in image but yeah it's a very interesting year 1991 and one that you you me all of us would remember very well as, as yeah. music consumers especially because I think there was more stuff on telly as well like with a chart show and, and things like that and the various ways you could watch Oh. Like 
like the uh, rock chart would come on one week and things like that, wouldn't it? And yeah, yeah, you just you just used to be in front of the television praying that the mouse cursor thing clicked on rock or what was it rock or alternative it, it, it was the, yes. yeah the in, indie yeah. chart was yeah and then then there was the dance chart which it always seemed to be i'm sure it was the dance chart every week yeah probably well. turned off if it selected that i suspect <laughs> <laughs> when it did something else <laughs> it's a shame because there's probably quite a lot of good stuff on yeah. there that, we, that it actually yeah. now we'd like <laughs> yeah it's like Orbital putting out a lot of stuff and things like that. Yeah, which is... some some interesting things. And the indie chart definitely used to have all kinds of uh, oddball gems there as well because you'd get a mixture of sort of stuff that you that was the genre indie, but then also sort of little dance acts in there and things like like Napalm Death would crop up in the indie chart, that yeah. kind of thing. Brilliant. So, yeah, it was good stuff. Well then, let's put our cassettes and CDs away and, and go to the cin- <laughs> go to the cinema instead. And I've got the top ten grossing films, and I've certainly mentioned one of them in passing. Oh, what nineteen ninety one? Can we guess? Can we guess? Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood oh, was the second course. biggest film. So only the second biggest film of the year. I must admit, I looked read down the films for this year and i thought it looked like an absolute garbage year for cinema <laughs> well it just, it just looked rubbish apart from one one standout entry which um, obviously i'll keep to myself um, <laughs> okay well uh, but what do we reckon though is in the top 10 i know jfk came out was that yeah that was number six the film in which doesn't Robin Hood solve the uh, assassination of JFK in that one? It does, yeah. Can, can I can I say what my favourite film of the year is, and then give that as a suggestion? Go on then. Well, I looked down and thought, God, this was a terrible year for film, and then I saw that Point Break was re- released in uh, oh, 1991. Tremendous. Ah, right. And okay. So yes, a totally ridiculous film. Uh, but highly enjoyable. And was that a top ten? It wasn't top ten. No. Oh, was that Catherine Bigelow? Was that? It probably was Catherine Bigelow. Wasn't it? Uh, it on, was, on, yeah, yeah, it was, and yeah. Based on on Kem Nunn's novel, which which is also rather good. All right. Well, it's got some yeah. big over classic Keanu Reeves. Um, he shoots the gun into the air. Great scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> He ain't coming back. What? <laughs> we'll come back to you, Steve. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, well, we'll that's me done with that anyway. Yeah, a great film. Um, it was Cape Fear, like ninety-one. Yes, yeah, the remake of Cape Fear was was number eight in the top top ten. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go down it now. Then so number one anyway, Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Oh, of course, oh, of yeah, course. with Good Guns and Roses on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. And it's a phenomenal film. Yeah, know, I watched that last week, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, in terms of, of how sequels can have an impact, that is one that got it absolutely right. Yeah, spot on. Diminishing returns ever since, <laughs> sadly. But yeah, Terminator is good. Terminator 2 is excellent. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Disney's Beauty and the Beast. So it's a sort of rebirth of Disney as a powerhouse. Oh, S- um, Hook by... Uh, what's his name? Oh, I forgot his name. Uh, Spielberg? Yes, it is Spielberg. I was trying to think of the actor. Oh, uh, Robin Williams is... He's in it, yes. In I was trying it? to think yeah. of Hook. Oh, I, uh, uh, just... Dustin Hoffman. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Sorry, that's, didn't need to spend that much time thinking about Hook, really. <laughs> 
uh, Silence of the Lambs, obviously a massive, oh, yeah. massive yeah. film. JFK, the Adams Family film. Oh yeah. Which I like the Adams uh, Family film. Yeah, the, the, and and the sequel I thought were both Adams Family Values. Good, yeah. yeah, both good. Cape Fear, then Hot Shots, <laughs> which is you know in the airplane mold of zany comedies. Definitely. And City Slickers. Oh, crikey, yeah. Billy Crystal and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, there's loads of films came out that year. Hmm. King Ralph. Drop Dead Fred with Rick Mayle. Yep. FX2. Yeah, you see that? That was, yeah. It's not the best year, though, you've got to admit. Well, it depends, I suppose, what your your metric is for it. Because things like Backdraft and Thelma and Louise... See, I would have thought... Backdraft was everywhere, but that doesn't yeah. got in, hasn't got into the top ten. As was Film and Louise, it was uh, yeah. quite a cultural phenomenon, really. But um, apparently not. We got Boys in the Hood. I don't oh, think yeah. I watched any film. I think I must have spent my entire life avoiding films made in the nineteen nineties because I ain't seen any of these. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I've seen. Well, I've seen King Ralph and I've seen Drop Dead Fred. I've seen FX Two about a billion times because yeah, it's always that, on yeah. telly. Oh, well, I was going to say, have you seen? Suburban Commando, the Hulk Hogan film. I feel like I have. I can't remember yeah, anything yeah. about it, but I'm pretty sure I have seen it. Yeah. Highlander, <laughs> two, Highlander 2, The Quickening. Um, as, yeah, Highlander 2, we changed the mythology to have loads of sequels. Um, oh, the film of Naked Lunch comes out that year as well. It, it was, yeah, Cronenberg, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I remember Marvelous. seeing that on reviewed on Film 91 and thinking it was one of the weirdest looking things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Norman. <laughs> yeah. And why not? It's <laughs> <laughs> a reference for no one to get other than us, probably. <laughs> like, well, right, we're bored of the cinema now, so let's go and watch some TV. And if we're watching TV in the UK, we've got some good debuts here. So I never watched it, but Spender starts in, in 91. Oh, Jimmy Nail. Yeah, that's a police procedural, essentially, I think. It's... Yeah, um, my, my dad was an avid uh, viewer of that, so I did kind of see it in passing, although I wasn't, I wasn't really properly paying attention, I guess. No. Where was yeah. it set? Newcastle? I think I so. I think so, yeah. Funnily enough. And then uh, we've got one of my all-time favourite comedy shows, which is Paul Merton, the series, which oh, is just, it was on Channel 4 and is very, very, very weird. Great, yeah. And it's only just come out on, I think it's come out on Blu-ray, but it's apparently it's been cut to ribbons and put in the wrong aspect ratio and everything. So it's, I was really excited. Why? About it and <laughs> Why do I people do this? <laughs> I don't know. Especially Paul Merton, who is like a really big fan of like archive film and old film and treating mm. the you know comedy history well. And it, this thing's come out and people are going, no, it's just rubbish. So don't bother. <laughs> Uh, what else have we got there? We've got very powerful programs such as the Britass Empire, <laughs> <laughs> which for anyone who doesn't know is a sitcom about a hapless, overzealous leisure centre owner played by Red Dwarf's Chris Barry. And I would have watched every single one of those as it went out. Well, wasn't there some kind of mad twist ending to it? I'm, I'm sure. There was. was, yeah. Also, what was the ending? <laughs> Was it all it a was dream? All a dream. <laughs> was it? Was it? All a dream? After all that, I can't believe I'm going to have to put a spoiler warning on this for the Britos Empire. It's had a receptionist who kept a baby in a drawer. <laughs> yes, Mister Britos. It was all a dream. And what? So did he work at the leisure centre? He was on his way to the interview, was he, or something? Something like that. Yeah. 
Oh, what oh, a book. Well. Oh, God, I'd be bloody livid if I was all that. I was going to break it to you 30 years later. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. Thank God I didn't watch it all. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, what else have I got written down? Uh, Brum starts. Oh, yeah. A children's programme about... That wasn't a dream, time. was it? Yeah, Actually, no. That was as real like as... A nightmare. As real as a cooked dinner, that. Oh. And Mix, just, mixing me metaphors. Dinner. That's good. <laughs> mixing me metaphors. <laughs> and uh, the last one for the UK I've listed is Auntie's Bloomers, which is oh. the the clips show where things go wrong on Terry TV. Terry Wogan. And, and Terry yeah. Wogan, yeah. Yeah as someone swearing when they get a line wrong on Emmerdale or something. I don't know. Oof, though. What, what, <laughs> he would have said something like that, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. <laughs> right, US TV debuts. I had to, I struggled with this because hmm. partly because there's tons and tons and tons of kids' animations that we, we all know and love, so there's no point going through loads of them. Although I did mention James Bond Jr., if you remember <laughs> that. Yeah, I was never a fan of that. No, it was awful. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. good. James Bond's nephew is now a crime fighter person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There was the TV series of Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, never really watched that. Because once you've paid for that Yeti suit, why not use it for everything? <laughs> uh, I found there was a programme called Dark Justice. <laughs> which, <laughs> when I read the description, Sounds you'll... Really... you'll yeah. well, when I read the description, you'll understand. It's um, he's a judge by day, but he's a vigilante by night. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> God, who was in that? Uh, apparently, the first person to play the role was a guy called R- uh, Rami Zadda. I don't know them, but the second actor to take the title role was called Bruce Abbott, which is the name of my dad. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the it sounds sounds like a darts nickname. That. To me. <laughs> dark. Well, if my dad ever starts playing darts again in a league, I'll tell him he has to be nicknamed Dark Justice, and it's a, it's, it's a marvelous in joke. Uh, what else have I got written down? Oh, dinosaurs. Do you remember dinosaurs? Um, no. Well, the sitcom where it was all anima- oh. big animatronic or well, people in suits as dinosaurs. Yeah, I rem- I mainly remember remember it from The Simpsons having a little dig at it for. Uh, allegedly being kind of, I think the Simpsons considered it to have ripped them off somewhat. Yeah, it wouldn't have been made if the Simpsons hadn't been made, essentially. It was a a, a Henson Creature Workshop production, I think. If I'm wrong, someone will tell me. And, yeah, it's, I seem to remember that ending very strangely, but I can't remember why. It may have ended with the um, meteor hitting Earth and them all dying. <laughs> so, um, but the other one I wanted, the other one I wanted to mention, just because it's such an awful, awful title for a show, is a show. It's a detective show called Silk Stalkings. <laughs> Not silk stockings, but that's the pun that they're making. It's, it's that's classic wordplay. <laughs> Silk stalkings. So one season, I'm guessing. I, I didn't look any further. Halfway in. through, S- still running now. <laughs> yeah, it's the biggest rated show in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a weird uh, list of, of things to try and extract some stuff from. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I don't think the world of vision was having on its hottest time in 1991. 
Yeah, I think TV, uh, there was a lot of stuff thrown at the wall to see what would stick, and I don't think masses of it stuck, really. I think the world's creative juices were concentrated in the music arena, I think. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's get on to our personal picks for 1991. And seeing as Steve-O has... um, you know, got very excited oh. with Point Point Break. You might as well take I, us through your choices. I, I, I couldn't hold back on that. Uh, well, music, yeah, you see, I could pick any of these um, grunge bands, really. Weld, Neil Young, that was 1991 oh. as well, which I suppose if you're picking a record from 1991, I've listened to more than anything else. That's, that may be it, but um, I'm going to pick um, Gish by the uh, Smashing Pumpkins, though. Uh, which I do love uh, ever such a lot and is a cracking record, being their debut, I think. Oh, right, okay. Um, Which was the middle of the year. But yeah, you read down like that year and bloody... I bet most of those bands like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, yeah, etc. I guess, yeah. Monster Magnet. I think they (laughs) had their... Did they have their... But anyway, yeah, you could pick any of them, really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's lots of it. It was, it's a long, long list of interesting stuff. So we'll come to Morgan and see what he has uh, selected from the various uh, fields. Indeed. Uh, do you want film or music first? Well, let's go film then. Get that well, out of the way first. Film-wise, I mean, I was considering various things that would make me sound like some kind of uh, intellectual or film buff, uh, but my I think I know. What, I think I know what you're going to pick. It, it was only ever going to be Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Absolutely. Which is one of my favourite films of all time, and one which I can probably still quote pretty much word for word. Um, yeah, magnificent! What 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 a movie! Yeah, uh, the uh, the new um, Bill and Ted film should be out on like to buy anyway soon. Yeah, so. I can't can't wait to see it. Uh, it, it, it the films being as they are, I didn't catch it in its very brief run in the cinema. But uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a, a big big part of my childhood that film <laughs> the question is have you picked as your music choice the soundtrack to bill and ted's bogus journey uh, you see i should have done shouldn't i it's 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 a pretty good and particularly for um kisses uh god gave rock and roll to you too which <laughs> um is is one of those rare covers that's much better than the original um okay but no my, my music choice um i i'm gonna go for i mean there's lots of great stuff but i'm gonna go for um Mush by Leatherface. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Sunderland's greatest um, punk rock band. Um, <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, really, really influential. Like, this whole sort of generation of American bands who heard that record, even though not that many people really probably noticed it at the time. And uh, it's still kind of repercussions from it still being felt now, really. Just amazing songwriting great guitar playing um one one for uh, anyone who hasn't heard it to go and look up it's uh, it's really good i was just looking at the track listing for it while you were talking there and apparently on the cd re-release the bonus tracks include a cover of message in a bottle another another cover that's better than the original i can well imagine yeah it's, yeah, it's terrific i think they were really influenced by the police um there's there's a lot of kind of really andy summers um influenced guitar playing going on uh, Dickie Hammond, the lead guitarist, uh, did a lot of that kind of palm muted, kind of like arpeggiated kind of stuff. 
but, oh, right. but with kind of like this massive kind of Bob Mould kind of punk rock sound. It's uh, it's a pretty unusual sounding band. Lead singer who sounds like a cross between Lemmy and Louis Armstrong, but with a Sunderland <laughs> accent. It's, uh, it's pretty great. Excellent. Oh, I'm going to go fire this up, I think. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommended. Oh, that's an excellent pick, that. Okay. Right, well, my choices then. I'll start with film. And, yeah, I mean, there are one or two things I do really like in there, but the one that stands out for me is The Fisher King. Ah, yeah. So it's a Terry Gilliam film, and I'm a very big fan of Terry Gilliam as a director, growing less fond of him as a human being as the years go by, because he's a pillock. But but he's made some of my all-time favourite films, of which The Fisher King is one, although I haven't watched it for years. Hmm. And I've probably only got it on VHS now. And I must get it on... I presume it's been reissued on Blu-ray or something. It must have been. But it is a phenomenal film and a phenomenal performance from uh, Robin Williams in it. Well, from everyone in it, really. Right. And it's it's amazingly shot. It's heartbreaking. It's weird. It's just a... Yeah, it wasn't going to get anywhere near the top 10 grossing films, let's put it that way. But it's... Yeah. But I think um, Mercedes Rule is in it in a supporting role and got nominated for an Oscar, possibly. So it's, oh. uh, you know, it's it's brilliant. Anyway, and that is my pick, Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King. Fantastic. That is my movie pick. And then, like you two, spoilt for choice, really, on the music side of things. Because, like Steve-O mentioned, I mean, Use Your Illusion comes out by Guns N' Roses, which is this mammoth two album <laughs> release thing not even just a double album it's two albums at the same time use your illusion one and two which is overblown and ludicrous but don't you sometimes want your metal to be that way don't you sometimes want your your, your hard rock to steer into hard prog with songs <laughs> about people in comas and things like that and i do i do genuinely still love quite a lot of use your illusion but it's not my pick I could have picked Bandwagon-esque by Teenage Fan Club. Oh, yeah. Magnificent. Which does tug at the heartstrings a little bit as a choice. That was that was vying for attention. Or several Zappa albums again. Absolutely. Yeah, Zappa released absolutely... Did he release three or four when I was going down the, the yeah, list the other day? He had bloody loads. Yeah, he was absolutely smashing albums out at, the, at that time, definitely. Which included the one... If I was going to pick one, I would probably have picked Make a Jazz Noise Here. Ah, it was great. the best man you've never heard in your life, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, definitely. Which I've always yeah, quite like. Yeah, it's fantastic. My first ever Zapper album. But in the end, my choice is an album that has been... I came to quite late, relatively speaking, given it came out in 91, but has been quite influential on me as a musician and the sort of bands I've been in and things, and that is Steady Diet of Nothing by Fugazi. That was another one that was on my shortlist, definitely. Yeah. It's funny coming to it years later and perhaps not hearing it at the time, because I think if someone had just dropped this into my life in 1991, I wouldn't have known what what (laughs) music it was. You know, I wouldn't have known anything that sounded anything like it. Yeah. Not because it's weird, particularly, but it is. Well, it's it's, 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 it's like mad dub dub rock that, stuff. That's it. It's unusual because it 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 doesn't sound like what you would have immediately thought of as punk. There's definitely elements of dub, elements of funk, elements of kind of sort of like sixties kind of Detroit kind of garage rock. 
all kind of slammed in together really yeah it's weird sort of like repetitive patterns and yeah oh it's brilliant it's just such a brilliant record can't really argue with that one it's nope. it's it's a it's a fantastic recording uh, fa- well the recording sound of it is fantastic as much as the songs themselves mm. are as well it's just yeah it's great steady diet of nothing by fugazi is my pick so there we go mm. that's what we would look back to 19, 1991 with anyway right well that's our bonus episode for uh, well for widows i know that by the time we're talking about I don't know, the Britass Empire. We're miles away from <laughs> McBain. <laughs> I like to think that on a publicity tour, he might have picked up a little VHS of the Britass Empire and oh, yeah. taken it back to Connecticut with him. <laughs> just never had the final episode, so never had the disappointment of learning what happened. <laughs> right, stop talking about that. It's stupid. <laughs> so, okay then, I am going to round off by saying... That will be back soon with Kiss by McBain. And until then, I'm going to say au revoir, au revoir, and Steve-o. Cheerio. And Morgan. Fare thee well. Bye. Bye.